Man, I'll tell you, I had tears coming down my face for those baptisms. Those were amazing. And we are just so glad to be part of what God is doing here at Water Church North Attleboro. Let me tell you something. North Attleboro, Attleboro, they don't have a chance. Jesus is on the move here. He's doing something powerful in this town. So I'm just, I'm just humbled. I'm humbled to be a part of it. I am humbled to be the pastor here. Again, my name is Tim. If you're here for the first time or you're here as a guest of one of our baptism candidates, so glad that you're here. And our prayer is that this first time is not the last time and that you come on back and make this your church. We would love to have you. We're going to conclude this series. This seems like we've been in it for a year, but it's only been six weeks. We're going to conclude a series called Why We. Why do we do the things that we do? If you have a Bible or a smartphone Bible, go to Genesis chapter 28. We'll get there in a moment. Genesis chapter 28, if you are completely oblivious to the Bible, Genesis is the first book. Genesis 28, why we? Today, finally, closing it out, why do we give? Why do we give? And we also give you note cards. Uh, take, out, take out those notes and fill in the blank. Very important that you do that tonight, especially uh, this weekend, because we got a lot to say. And uh, I'm going to say it as quickly as I can, because I know we're already into this ser service, 40 minutes. And so, let's get into it. Why we give. What is the primary activity of God? What is the primary activity of God? If you go with the God of the Bible, which I do, and I believe that's the only God, what is his primary activity? Well, we've got some blanks for you to fill out. I want you to fill these two things out. First off, loving is who God is. Giving is what God does. Loving is who he is. It is the very expression of his character but in his loving he is and always has been the biggest giver in the universe god gives i'm gonna uh, uh, speed through a couple of scriptures here for you to show you how much god gives first off john 3 16 we all know this one even if you haven't been to church but you've been to a football game you have heard of John 3.16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The subject is God. The verb is gave. He gives, he gives, he gives. God gives beyond Jesus. This is what many Christians don't understand, many people don't understand. God gives us Jesus, and then as that's not enough, he gives us everything else. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul saying, Since God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for, for us all, will he not also, along with his son, give us, what's the next word? Give us everything else. That God doesn't stop at Jesus. God gives Jesus, and then God gives grace, and then God gives love, and God gives mercy, and God gives blessings, and God gives friendships and relationships. God gives, God gives, God gives, and then after you die, the giving just starts. He gives you heaven. He gives you eternity. He gives you peace and contentment, and this, this life, as great as it can be at times, it's paling in comparison to the life that God has ready to give us in eternity. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, another giving verse. It says that by his divine power, God has given us, again, what's the word here? Everything we need for living a godly life. God is a giver. 
And then I found this verse in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. It, it tells us what kind of giver God is. He's not just a big-time giver. He's a happy giver. He's happy to give. Jesus saying in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock. Any little flock members out there? Not afraid to be a little flock. He says, it gives your father great happiness. He's happy to give you the kingdom. What's the kingdom? That's his nation, his, his rule, his reign on this earth. You are part of the rule of God if you are in relationship with him through Jesus Christ, his son. God is a happy giver. That's why there's a very famous verse that many of you have heard. Um, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a happy giver. He doesn't like the giver. It's like, oh, okay. All right. Dollar for Jesus. He's happy. He is happy to give that word cheerful from that passage in 2 Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek, it's actually the highest form of happiness you can get. The highest form. The Greeks are famous for having like six words for one word. Like we have love, one love word. Greeks had like five love words. And the same thing is true for happiness. Same thing is true for hatred. Same thing is true for ministry. Greeks had like seven words for happiness. And the highest one, that's what Paul says, the highest level of happiness. That's the kind of, that's the kind of giver that God loves. Why? Because it's just like him. Because it's just like him. He looks at us, and if you're a cheerful giver and you freely give and you're generous, God is like, hoo-hoo-hoo. I love it when they act like me. And he loves to give. 796 times in the Old Testament. 796 times. Some of you say, Old Testament God, mean. New Testament God, nice. But in the Old Testament, just the Old Testament, 796 times the words God gives appear. Or God gave, or the Lord gave, or the Lord gives. 796 times. There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament. That means that almost every single chapter of the Old Testament is telling us about something that God gives. God is a giver. God started giving with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. The very first words of God to man are not, don't have any fun, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Those are not the first words. The first words are, I have given you. He made Adam, and then he takes Adam, and he puts him to sleep, and makes Eve. He's like, woohoo, match made in Eden. Boom, puts them together. He says, be fruitful, multiply, make babies, have fun. It's going to be great. It's all for you. I have given you. It's like this is the first thing he wants them to know. I'm a giver. I have given you every yielding plant, plant yielding uh, seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. God is a giver. The devil is a taker. God is a giver. The devil is a taker. He comes to Eve and he says, hey, did God really say you can't have any tree of the garden? Notice how we twist the words of God. God had given them every tree except one. Eve got it right. She said, actually, no, he gave us them all. But there's that one. He says, hey, I know why he did that, did that because he doesn't, want, he doesn't want you to be like him. He's got this inferiority complex. And he knows the moment that you take of that fruit, the moment that you take of that fruit, you'll be like him. Why don't you take it? And little did they know that by taking the fruit, 
They were following the, 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 the pattern and the character of Satan. Satan is a taker. He takes. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's all he's after. He wants to kill you, destroy you, take your kids, take your family, take your job, take your dog, take everything. He wants to make your life a country music song. It's okay to listen to country music, just know it's devil-inspired. I'm just kidding. He is a taker, and he has been taken from the beginning. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and that you might have life abundantly. What is he doing? He's doing what God does. He's giving back. Even though the devil took it all, he says, look, I'll make up for it. I'll give you my life to undo the taking that the devil's done for you. God is a giver, the devil is a taker. I want to just lay some very important groundwork here because what I have found is that in many Christian circles, in many churches, and in many of you, you got it backwards. God is the taker and the devil is the giver. Well, maybe not the devil is the giver, but at least God is the taker. And you've been lied to. You've been told that God takes. Well, mom died when I was 12. God took her. You ever hear anybody say that? Well, my parents got divorced when I was really young, so, you know, God kind of just let that happen. I got cancer, so, you know, God's taken my health away. God's taken, God's taken. Let me, let me be very clear about this stuff, okay? That's a lie. God does not take that stuff from you, and he didn't take it from you. The devil did. The devil takes the devil took so-and-so. The devil took our freedom to serve God in the Garden of Eden, and the devil's been taken ever since. We'll say, well, how can that be? How can the devil be the taker? I mean, how can the world be like that? And, and here's the reality, that the devil is in charge of the world. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the world, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. The world is under the power of the devil. Jesus called this, uh, Satan the ruler of this world. When he's tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, Satan brings all the kings of the world before Jesus and says, I'll give them to you, they're mine to give. Jesus doesn't say, actually, no, they're my dad's. He knows these are Satan's kingdoms. He is, Paul says, these are, uh, Paul says he is the prince of the ruler of the air. He's in charge here. You know why bad stuff happened to good people? You know why bad stuff happened to bad people? You know why bad stuff happened to all people? Because the devil is in charge and he's taking, 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 taking. That's what he has been doing since the beginning. He takes. You say, well, why did God let him go and do that? Why did God give him the control of the world? He did not give him control of the world. We gave him control of the world. God said to Adam and Eve, you have dominion, rule, authority, power. It's all yours. And the moment that they listened to Satan, they gave up that power. And they gave it to him. And we've been suffering with the consequences ever since. God is a giver. The devil is a taker. Question I got for you is this. Who do you want to be more like? Never mind who do you want to be more like. Who are you more like? 
Because I don't think there's anybody here saying, my goal in life is to be a taker. I'd really like to be the guy that when I die, they have to search for something good to say about me. They have to come up to the funeral podium and say, well, Joe was, um, yo, this is hard. Uh, what do you have to, anybody? <laughs> took my snowblower, took my, took my wife. I don't know what else I could have. <laughs> I mean, nobody's like aiming at that, right? Nobody wants to be known as a taker. Nobody wants to be known like these guys. Hey, man, so I'm glad you came out tonight. You're going to really love this place. So I saying the food's good? Because I'm really not feeling it tonight. No, you'll like it. Look, we'll just relax, have a good time. You'll see. Trust me. Nobody wants to be those guys. <laughs> Am I right? <clears throat> Problem is, we're all born takers. I just had a baby about, uh, well, we, I didn't have a baby. My wife had a baby. <laughs> and I was there watching her have the baby. And it's funny, when my, all three of my kids were born, they all came out with clenched fists. You ever notice that? They were doing a lot of screaming, too, so you probably might, might not notice yourself, but my kids were all like, ah, they're just like, don't disrupt me. <laughs> and, and then we go through about two and a half years of just giving, 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 and about two and a half years in, you're like, okay, enough. It's time you start giving. 
Because you don't even want your kids to be known as givers. You especially don't want your kids to be known as takers. So if we're all born takers and we're not all givers, how do we become givers? One word. God. God is in the habit of making givers out of takers. He's been doing it since, be- since the beginning of time. Well, wh- well, how does God do it? We're going to look at somebody that God transformed radically from, I would say, the all-time taker in human history. Made him into one of the best givers the world has ever known. And his name is Jacob. So if you got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 28, that's where we're going. Genesis 28, God makes a giver out of a taker. Would you stand with me? Genesis 28. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on top of it it reached heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you all your offspring shall be the families of the earth. They shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had set up under his head and set it as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz in the first place. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit will speak to our lives and change our hearts to reflect you, to become like you, and to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Jacob was the ultimate taker. Uh, Funny story about his name and his birth. First off, his mom had twins. She was pregnant with twins. One of the twins was Jacob. And they're jostling. The Bible says that they were jostling in her womb. They were literally fighting in the womb. Jacob and his brother Esau. And so the time to give birth comes... And Esau comes out first, and Esau is all red all over. He's got hair, hair all over, and he's got red hair. And so they call him Esau. It means red. And while Esau's coming out of the womb, they find that Jacob's hand, the next baby, Jacob's hand is clutching the heel of his older brother. Now, how many know that if that had happened to you, you'd be like, that's going to be my project? There he is. I just found him. Jacob from birth was a taker. He was born taking. 
He wanted to be first out of that womb. But Esau, because he's stronger probably or whatever, he beat him out of the womb. And, he, and Jacob just couldn't take that, so he holds on to his heel. And that's where he gets his name. The name Jacob means one who grasps the heel. One who grasps, one who deceives, one who connives, one who strives to get ahead. Jacob was a born taker. By the way, we all are. We just had a baby, again, like I said, six, uh, 13 months ago. His name is Jake. <laughs> we didn't want to go with the full biblical name because we've read about Jacob. So we just leave it at Jake. Let me tell you something. Jake is a taker. <laughs> Jake knows how to take. And all, all of us in the house, me, my wife, my two older children, we're all on 24-hour Jake watch. Because Jake just like walks around, takes, 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 takes. We're like, no, don't touch the remote. No, don't take the batteries out of the remote. No, don't suck on the batteries in the remote. No, don't eat your diaper now. That's not healthy. Jake is a taker. He is constantly in the process of finding something he wants to take. That's how we all are. Jacob in the Bible he made an art form out of taking. Not only was he born grasping at his brother's heel, when they grow up, a little bit later in the story, they kind of become two completely different boys, even though they're twins. How many know that happens sometimes? You have two kids, you wonder how could they be brother and sister? They couldn't be any more different or any more opposite from each other or brother and brother. Esau grows up, he is a wild man, he is a hunter, he is bear grills. Man versus wild, anybody? Or just me? And he just like jumps off cliffs and swims for salmon and doesn't even bother cooking it. He's the kind of guy that just bites right in. Ugh, it's a wild man. Jacob, complete opposite. He's like Rachel Ray. <laughs> he's inside with mom. He's cooking. He's cleaning. He's doing housework. That's his style. That's his speed. One day Esau comes home from the hunt and he's famished and he's starving and he sees Jacob has a nice bowl of red stew. And Esau says, give me some stew. I'm starving. Jacob says, sell me your birthright for it. Now the birthright was the right of the firstborn son to have rights to everything that the father left behind and then divvy it up to the rest of the family. So Jacob knows this is, I, this is an opportunity now. This is the thing about Jacob being a taker. He's an opportunist. Like you want some stew? Birthright. Esau makes the stupidest decision in the history of the Bible. Says, what good is my birthright to me right now? I am about to die. Never make a decision when you're hungry. <laughs> and he says, fine, here, here's my birthright. Jacob says, swear it to me now. He says, yeah, fine. The Bible says Esau despised his birthright. A little later in the story, Jacob's not done taking his father, Isaac, is old, and he's getting blind, and he's having a hard time seeing. It's time to die, and he knows it, so he's like, Esau, go to the wild, hunt me some game, and bring me some food, and feed me. I'm ready to eat. I'm going to bless you, and then you're going to be the firstborn son, and you're going to have all of dad's property, and you'll divide it between you and your brother. And Jacob must have been listening around the corner, and there's his mom, Rebecca, too, and I don't know, this must have been a severely dysfunctional marriage. Because Rebecca teams up with Jacob, teams up with Jacob to rip off Esau and swindle Isaac out of the firstborn's blessing. And she dresses Jacob up 
in animal clothing so that he feels hairy and smells like his brother. She mixes some food together. She gives it to Jacob. Jacob comes in and says, here I am. It's Esau, your, your son. I'm here for the blessing. And Isaac's like, you, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. And he gave him the firstborn blessing. And then Esau comes in from the hunt with his wild game prepared. And he says, Dad, I'm here for the firstborn blessing. The Bible says that Isaac starts to shake. Like, I just gave it to you. He says, you didn't give it to me. I just got here. He says, I just gave it to somebody. And he's like, it was Jacob. And then he says this, is he not rightly named Jacob? He's living right up to his name. He's a taker. He has cheated me now these two times. Look at what he says. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And a little while later, he says, the days of mourning my father are soon approaching, are approaching. And he says, then I will kill my brother Jacob. This is a side note, but you might want to write it down. Takers only produce more takers. Jacob took Esau's birthright, and now Esau wants to take Jacob's life. This is why somebody has to intervene in the story of humanity and say, you are not made to be a taker. You are not formed to be a taker. I made you in my image and in my likeness. And now God has been in the process for thousands of years taking takers and making them givers. Jacob runs out of the house. He knows Esau's going to kill him. He runs for his uncle Laban's house, clear across the country. On the way there, He falls asleep and he has a dream. We read it. God shows up. God shows up. He says, Jacob, I'm with you. You haven't noticed this, but I've been with you all the while. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to prosper you and I'm going to pour out my blessings on you and I'm going to bring you safely back here to your homeland and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now we look at the Bible when we say that is just not fair. This scoundrel? God, come on, really? Jacob. You know this guy who he is? Heel grasper, deceiver, swindles his blind, dying father. And you're going to show up in his life, and you're going to save him, and then you're going to bless him, and you're going to prosper him? Yes. Do you know why? Because God is a giver. That's the only explanation I can give you. Because if I was running the show, it would not be Jacob. (laughs) It might not even be Esau because he disrespected his birthright. I'd pop another baby out of Rebecca first and say, okay, that one I'm going to bless. But God, by his divine and sovereign choice, says, I'm going to take Jacob. I'm going to bless him so much that he, this taker, this deceiver, this scoundrel, this cheat, this one who nobody gives a chance to, he's going to be the greatest giver that you've ever seen. Because that's what God loves to do. He prides himself on taking the worst of the worst of humanity and making them the greatest people the world has ever seen. 
That's how he works. He doesn't, he doesn't pick. He does not pick the intelligent ones. He, he doesn't pick the ones who got their act together. He doesn't pick the ones who feel like they do add up. That's not who he is because, because if God picks the ones who add up, then the ones who add up can take credit for what God does in their lives. But God prides himself on taking the ones who are as far away as they can be from good and changing them from the inside out so that when you look at them and you see the change, you got to sit there and say, it had to be God because you were bad. <laughs> Is that anybody's story here tonight? Like you're proud of it? Like, yes, that's my story. If it had not been for Jesus, I mean, I'm telling you right now, I was gone, I was done, I was, I was lost, I was an alcoholic, I was dead in my sins, I was addicted to approval or people or stuff or things, and Jesus showed up and shined his light on my life, and now I am changed. It's God if it had not been for him. And the Bible says that Jacob awakes from this sleep. And, and this beautiful line, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Did you know that there is a light switch in every single human being on the face of the earth? And every time someone gets saved, it's because God reached down from heaven and flipped that switch. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that. It was like a light went on. Yeah, I wasn't even looking for God. I showed up because my wife wanted me to. I didn't even want to be here. We even heard it in the baptisms. It was like, <sighs> and that's how God works. And Jacob says, I didn't even realize that God was there. And he has been there all the way. And now, not only is he there, but he's going to bless me. And he's going to give me a great name. And Jacob responds and says, if God be with me, and he's going to go keep me in the way that I take, and give me. Now, look, Jacob now knows God as giver. He's going to give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again in my father's house in peace. He's going to be there in peace. That means now he knows God is protector. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This taker is starting to give. And notice, he starts to change from taker to giver as soon as he finds God, as soon as God finds him, as soon as he meets God. You know how you know you've met Jesus? Something immediately changes. It might not be your wallet right away. It might be some addiction. It might be something inside that was empty, now it's full. But something happened, and you're not the same, and it's visible. For Jacob, God takes the worst part about him, the biggest taker the world's ever known, and turns him into a big-time giver, one-tenth of everything he gets, straight back to God. How, or, oh, sorry, why do we give? If you're taking notes, point number one, here we are. We give because we realize that God has been unreasonably generous with us. 
the light switch goes on. Like there's a light switch for salvation. Like you didn't know you were saved. You didn't know you need Jesus. Then you suddenly saw, oh my gosh, I need a Jesus. Oh my gosh, there's Jesus right there. He's actually saving me. Wonderful. Switch. And then there is the transformation of character. I find there's like 600,000 switches in each of us. Let's take away the lust. Let's take away the jealousy. Let's do, deal with that bitterness now. Over here, the unforgiveness. Oh, that's a big one. You know? And then eventually he gets to the giving one. Time to be generous. Because you've seen what I've done in your life. Giving is a matter of awareness. If you're taking notes, write that down. Giving is a matter of awareness. It's becoming aware that God has been generous to you. And you can't deny it. James chapter 1, verse 16. James says, do not be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Father, from above, who, who does not change. Don't be deceived. God is not a taker. God is a giver. We're so trained. We're so trained to believe that God's a taker. When a tragedy strikes in our world and it's, it's not a bus running into a car or it's not like something human caused and then the insurance company shows up on the scene, what do they say? Oh, this is really bad. This is an act of God, why do they do that? <laughs> like, 364 days out of the year is no problem. <laughs> well, the hurricane shows up one day, it's God. It's ridiculous. Don't be deceived. He's a giver. He's a giver. And the biggest givers that I have met, the biggest givers that I've met are people who know they don't deserve what God has given them. One of the biggest givers I know is, is Pastor Geyser in our Norwood campus. He is a giver, man. He'll give the shirt off your back. And that's not an exaggeration. He'll give shoes off of his feet. He gives and gives and gives. And I look at him give it. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Do you know why? Because he was a dead drunk on the streets of South Africa. And God saved him. And he knows if it had not been for Jesus, I wouldn't be here. The biggest givers are the ones who are most aware that they don't deserve what God has given them. Conversely, the most stingy people I know are the people who think they deserve. Well, of course I deserve God's blessings. I'm a good person. <laughs> of course I do. I went to Sunday school. I've got the Bible memorized. Of course God should bless me. It's called works righteousness, friend. And it's not salvation. It's religion, and it kills you don't deserve anything. God graciously gives it to you. That's the gospel. I, I wrote this down. You might want to write this down in your notes. Generosity has nothing to do with my income level. It has everything to do with my awareness level. That's what it is. It's just I, I, I know. I know that this comes from God. Number two, why we give? We give because giving is an act of worship. Worship comes from the old English word, worth-ship. It's to ascribe worth to somebody. When you, when you love somebody, you give something to them. Uh, Rick Warren says it like this, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving. You can just throw five bucks at some bum on the street, but you don't really love him. But the moment that you really, truly love somebody, you give. 
why parents spend so much money on their children, because they love them. This is why, ladies, you know, you know, homeboy can write poems about you, songs about you. He can shower you with all kinds of accolades. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. You're like, yes, 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 yes. But when he puts three months' salary down on a ring, now you know. Amen? Now you know he loves you because you can't love without giving. You love God, you give to him. So that's what Jacob says. I'm going to take this pillar and I'm going to make a house of God and then everything that you give me, God, I'm going to give a full tenth to you. That's what he says. I love you now. I'm just amazed at what you've done in my life. Here you go. Now he says a tenth. Um, in, the Eng in the word tenth, that's where we get the word tithe from. So when we say tithes and offerings here, when we ask you to give tithes and offerings, we're talking about a tenth, a tenth of your income. Some people are like, whoa. That's a lot of money. And there might be people here, you're like, that's a lot of money. I don't know if I could do it. Listen, find out how you can do it. But don't argue with the fact that that's like hardly anything. It really isn't. It really isn't compared to what God has given you. That tenth of, a, of what he has given you is like, of course. Because you know you love God. And you, you want to express it with giving. And the people who have genuinely been changed by God, they are givers. And this theme of worship and giving carries right through the Bible. Um, Moses brings the people out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt. He brings e Israel out of Egypt. They establish a place of worship, a temple. And then he says, here's what you got to do. You're going to bring a tenth into the temple. You're going to bring a tenth. And all the people are like, absolutely. They're like, Why were they so willing to do it? Because they knew that just a few Years ago, they were slaves, and God radically changed their life. When you know what God has done for you, the giving deal is like a no-brainer. It's like, of course, no problem. It's all God's anyway. I understand that. And God is going to give graciously to you. And there are some people, there are some people that say, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 that, that, was, that was Old Testament. That was Old Testament. I get that. I hear you. Okay, let's just say that. Right, yes, Old Testament. One-tenth Old Testament. Let me ask you one simple question. Do you get more blessings in the New Testament or less? You get far more. In the Old Testament, you got tablets of stone and goats and oxen. In the New Testament, you get the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's once and for all, baby. You don't got to keep coming back and forth and saying, okay, sacrifice him again. I did a bunch of bad things this week. <laughs> in the New Testament, it's over. It's done. It's finished. You are free and clear in Jesus' name. Past, present, future sins washed away. So I agree with you. Tithing is Old Testament, one-tenth. I think you should be a 20th person. I mean, no, 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 one-fifth. I went backwards in my fractions. One-fifth, bam. <laughs> There you go. Because God's been given to me. Now, point of note in the New Testament, the New Testament carries this idea of um, tithing into the New Testament, just so you know. In the Old Testament, they brought tithes to the temple, one-tenth of their income, so that the priests and the Levites could do the service of the worship of the temple. New Testament principle comes right through, comes right through the cross in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
Paul talking to guys who aren't even associated with the temple sacrifices. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings at the temple, and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings? In other words, those who do the ministry of the word, they get their living from those who get benefited from it. And so then he says in verse 14, So also, or in the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it comes right through, the, right through the cross, doesn't stop, comes right through. So if you benefit from the word of God, if you benefit from the ministry of the church, if you benefit from your local assembly, it's like that's where I give my tithe to God. Because my local assembly, that's where people's lives are changed. That's where my marriage came back together. That's where my son came to Christ. That's where my life was changed. That's where I realized so many things that were out of sorts in my life, and I started doing God's way things, God's life, God's way, and suddenly everything started to click. Everything started to make sense, and now I look at my life, and I say, wow, God, you have been good. That's why I gladly bring my tithes and offerings to the place where I worship. <laughs> gladly. And then we pay it forward. That's the great thing. We pay it forward. We don't just receive. We, we don't just show up at the restaurant and eat the food and enjoy it and walk out the door and expect somebody else to pay for it. We say, man, this is worth it. This is worth it. And not only for me, for everybody else I know. These baptisms are worth it. Everybody who ties to this church, everybody who ties here, you're getting credit for that in heaven, you know that? You're getting credit, because it actually it costs money to do this, just letting you know. And your money, your giving, your, your generosity puts that pool on that, on that stage and puts those souls in that pool. Because the gospel is preached. The, the gospel is preached, lives are changed, and right there Paul says in the same way you benefit from it, you support it. You benefit from it, you support it. You benefit from it, you support it. And the testimonies and the conversations that I have regularly with people, you are getting credit for that in heaven. And there are some of you, your credit is like zero. Because you've been coming and you've been receiving and you've been like, ooh, this food is good here. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Love it, love it. Woo, that was a good word. Mm, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And then you just leave the check for somebody else. Time to stop. Still with me? <laughs> it's too bad, I got a microphone. <laughs> Number three, we give because we know we need God. We give because we know we need God. Jacob made a vow. He said, God, if you're going to be with me, if you're going to keep me the way that I take, you're gonna bring, if you're going to give me bread and food, and, and, and you're going to give me clothing to wear, and then you're going to bring me home peacefully because Esau wants to kill me, then I'm giving you a tenth. Provision and protection. Provision and protection. Everybody say provision, provision. and protection. <laughs> That's what happens when you honor God with your finances. Provision and protection. God will bless your socks off. He will provide. And, and this is how you learn to give, by the way. Here's how you learn to give. You do it first. And you say, God, I'm going to give you the first fruits of my offering, not my, before my mortgage, before my, before my uh, electric bill, before my utility bill. God first. 
And then God just pours out blessings on the rest. And I've seen it in my whole life. I'm not asking you to do anything I don't do. We give, we give our tithes to this church. We support this church. I believe in this church. We give to overseas missions and stuff like that, above and beyond the tithe. Cheryl and I, we give, we give. We, every time, every time we step up and we give something big, it's like we turn around and there's something coming back. It happened last week. Last week I was behind on something in my tithes, and I had made some money on the side with another thing that I do, and I said, oh, my gosh, I never tithed on that. And so I just gave the money, and it was a large amount. I was like, oh, God, all right, fine, I'll do it. And, yeah, here we go. It's not really my first job. It's kind of like a second thing. So, uh, and so I just kind of like can't. And then I literally turn around, and boom, double the amount comes right back. Because you can't outgive God. <laughs> if God brought you here, he'll get you there. Try it. In fact, that's what the Bible even says in Malachi. He says, put me to the test. I dare you. God's like, I double sheep dog dare you. <laughs> you give me the tenth. You bring the tenth back to me as a sign that you understand that I'll provide and I'll protect you. And he says, I'll pour out such a blessing from the windows of heaven that there is going to be no more need. And I'll rebuke, this is the best part, love this one, I'll rebuke the devourer for you. I want, I want God to rebuke my devourers. I want God to rebuke my devourers. Amen. And say, um, when, when that, when that tra tragic thing wants to happen to my house and I'm not ready for it, I want God saying, uh-uh, he's a tither. You can't touch him. I rebuke you. And gone goes the problem. I want God to do that for me. But I don't want to do it so I can get. I want to do it because I want to honor God because I understand what God has done for me. I need him. I need him. I need him. I can't even ever even think about going back. God provides. God protects. That's why we give. That's why we give. And there are some people here. God is a giver. God is a taker. Uh, God, God is not a taker. The devil is a taker. God is a giver. The devil is a taker. And right now, you're acting more like the devil. You just are. Because if you added it all up, if you sat down and you did a little ledger deal for the last couple of weeks, and you just, okay, mortgage, food, clothing, recreation, electric bill, cable bill, HBO and Showtime. Oops, sorry, God, about that one. <laughs> kids. Kids. Kids, 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 kids. <laughs> Dining out. Dave and Busters. New shoes. Oh, yeah. Oh. I didn't do anything for God. Time to change that time to change and say, God, you have been good to me. I gladly give you back the tenth, and he will show up in ways you can't imagine, because he's a giver. That's what he does. I want you to stand with me.